Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new, joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You can also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. Jason, I'm one of the pastors here, and we are honored that you've chosen to start your week off by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian Church. And want to welcome all of those who are joining us online from whenever and wherever you are. So grateful to have you as a part of the Quad City family and look forward to the day uh, that when we get to worship together face to face. And want to welcome in all of those who are in Prescott Valley today. So grateful for you. So glad to have you with us today as well. And would say if you're a newcomer with us on any of our platforms, we'd love uh, the opportunity to get to connect with you this week. So if you're here at the Prescott campus out in the lobby off to the right, we have a place called Pastor's Point. I'm sorry, left. That's left. Off to the left, we have a place called Pastor's Point. I'll be hanging out there after the service. We'd love for you to come by and introduce yourself out in Prescott Valley. Uh, You can stop by Connection Central. Uh, If you're online, just jump in the chat and let us know you're here. We'd love to connect with you as well. Today, we are continuing this series that we've been in for the last few weeks, going through the book of Romans. If you're a newcomer with us, we're working our way through line by line, verse by verse throughout the book of Romans, and I think we are now six weeks in, and if all goes well, we'll get out of chapter one today. (laughs) Yeah, that's good, right? Uh, So we're so glad that you're with us. Uh, One of the things that we said at the beginning of this series is that we want to actually read this whole letter out. Uh, out loud throughout this series. So uh, if you're able, I'm going to invite you to grab your Bible. If you've got your Romans notebook, you can join me on page 36. Uh, Today I'm going to be reading Romans chapter 1, verse 28 through 32. So go ahead and stand to your feet if you're able, and we're going to read the Word of God today. This is the Word of the Lord. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do the very things 
but also approve of those who practice them. Father God, we are grateful for your word, and it is hard and challenging at times, but you share this with us for our good and your glory. And so, Holy Spirit, do your work among your people today. In Jesus we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. Thank you very much. So, again, over the last few weeks, we've been working our way through this text. And if you hadn't caught on from that text specifically, this whole section is all about the wrath of God. It's about the wrath of God toward ungodly people, and it has been heavy. I warned you at the beginning of this series that likely half of you wouldn't want to come back after week five, so you surprised me, I'll be honest. The fact that many of you were here, you're like, I wasn't here. Who was? You're taking somebody else's place who quit last week. We're in the middle of this section that we're calling the bad news, okay? And we're going to see it again today. The whole point is that Paul's trying to help us to understand just how sinful we are. And whether you know it or not, it's worse than you think. That's what Paul's trying to help us to understand. And it's in understanding how bad we are that we then begin to appreciate how great the grace of God is. So I want to make sure that we kind of put the whole argument from chapter 1 together. So we've been dicing it up over the last several weeks, and I want to put it all together. There's a pastor named John Stott, uh, who was a pastor in England for a long time. He, he kind of helped frame this chapter one in a conversation to kind of help us get the flow a little bit. We've missed it because we've been chopping it up, but I want you to see it as a conversation. So let's start all the way back in verse 16. This is where Paul began this section of scripture. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. That's, I'm not ashamed. It's so good. To which somebody might ask, well, why not? Because it's kind of crazy with that thing you believe. Well, here's why not. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. That's verse 16b. Oh, so it brings salvation. How does it do that, Paul? How does, how does it bring salvation? Because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith From first to last. So that's why I'm not ashamed, because in the gospel, a righteousness is revealed. But but wait, why do we need a righteousness? Why why is salvation even necessary? Why do we need a righteousness by faith? Well, because the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Oh, well, why would people suppress the truth, Paul? How have they done this? Well, since what's been known about God, it's plain to them. God has made it plain to them. Since the creation of the world, his invisible qualities have been clearly seen, being understood from what's been made. They see God everywhere, and then they live as if he does not exist. And what happens when somebody suppresses the truth? What's the problem with that, Paul? Why is that a big deal if they don't want to live as if God exists? Well, God gave them over. This is what happens. God gives them over to the sinful desires of their heart, to shameful lust, to have a depraved mind, to do what ought not to be done. What's the problem with that? What's going to happen if you're doing things you ought not to do? Those who do such things deserve death, which is why people need the gospel. That part's not in there. That comes later, but I just want to give you some hope. So this is the whole argument of chapter 1. He's just trying to help us to see why this gospel is necessary. This is the, 
This is the whole point. He's trying to help us to see just how unrighteous we are so that we actually grow to appreciate the righteousness that God gives us through Christ. So today we're going to see it even more clearly. He's going to tell us how bad we are. And again, it's worse than you came in believing today. So let's start in verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. For the third time in this text, we see this phrase that God gave them over. He gave them over. And what does he give them over to? In this text, he gives them over to a depraved mind. He gave them over. Um, I want you to think about it this way. So when you think about God gave them over, it's really important to know that God did not give them a depraved mind. He gave them over to a depraved mind. Those are two very different things. He did not give them a depraved mind. He gave them over to a depraved mind. So think about it this way. Um, How many of you all remember doing like a field day in elementary school? I know for some of you it's a long time ago. Try to think back. You remember field day? It's at the end of the school year when teachers are doing anything they can just to get you out of their classroom. So you go outside and you play games and you have these competitions. Almost every class, there's some type of tug of war. Do you remember playing tug of war at your field day? I know this is going to be shocking. I was not a big man. So I was always like the kid at the very front of the tug-of-war line, the one right there by the ribbon trying not to get jerked over the line. That was me. Like by the time the big kids in the back start pulling the rope, my feet don't touch anymore. So that was me (laughs) playing tug-of-war. So a picture in your mind playing tug-of-war, right? On one side of the rope, you have God. On the other side of the rope, you have these people. Again, notice it's they, 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 them. He's talking about all those people on the outside who don't trust God, don't love God, aren't following God. These are all those outsiders who are just trying to live their life their way, suppressing the truth by their wickedness. You got God on one side trying to pull them to himself. On the other side, they're pulling to try to get God on their side. Like, we want to live this way, God, so come on, join us, bless us, do this thing. So you got this tug of war happening for the hearts of these people. They're wanting to move God over to their depraved actions. Come on, pull God, come on, God, come our way. And God's saying, no, you don't want to go that way. And he's pulling back. And the tug of war lasts so long, and they're pulling so hard that finally God says, if that's what you want, boom, and he lets go of the rope. He lets go of the rope, and they all go tumbling back, and they get exactly what they've been striving so hard to get. They wanted to live out of their depraved mind, and God says, okay, and you can. He lets go of the rope, and again, this is not something you ever want God to do with you. They are actively rejecting God, and God lets them by letting go of the rope. Now, again, don't miss the pronouns. He's he's talking specifically in this text about all those people out there who are doing these bad things. They're rejecting God. They haven't submitted to God. They don't want to, and all of these actions that we're going to look at, they are a result. 
that I want for just a moment, I want you to forget about those people, okay? Just forget about those people for just a minute. As we work through this list, I'm going to ask you to consider if any of these list of actions applies to you. He's going to give us 21 different actions that spill out of a depraved mind. There's 21 of them. And I want to ask you if any of them apply to you. Now, here's the good news. If you are in Christ, you do not have a fully depraved mind anymore. That's the good news. Okay, that's the good news. However, as long as we're in this body, we will always have disordered desires. In fact, by the time we get to Romans chapter 12, Paul's going to be talking to Christians who have, who have understand the gospel, and he's going to say to them, hey, even you, even you, you need to be transformed. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed in the renewing of your mind. Because your mind is not fully transformed yet. It is a process. So even though you are not fully depraved, there's a, there's a real chance that you still have some transformation work to be done in your mind. In fact, Paul's going to command it by the time we get out of Romans. So don't just apply this to those people out there. Here's the thing. It's really easy for us to go through a list like this and then your, your mind's going to want to say, well, I wish my granddaughter, she needs to hear this, or my ex-husband, he does that, or my co-workers embody those. And what we want to do is we want to pull out the magnifying glass and see how this applies. To, oh, you got that one. I see it right there, right? That's the thing. We want to pull out the magnifying glass and see where this applies to everybody else. And what, what Scripture says you do need to do is pull out the mirror, See, what Scripture says is the, the Word of God is for us like a mirror that reveals our sin. It reveals what's in us. And so we need to pull out this mirror of the Word of God and say, where does this apply to me? And again, I think if you're honest today, it's going to be worse than you think. So here we go. These are the things that come out of a depraved mind. These are the things that people do that ought not to be done. Verse 29. It says, They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. I don't miss this word. They have become filled. Filled. Like they are not half-hearted in their sinfulness. They are filled to the brim. It's like you remember the first time you saw a glass of water in science class and they were teaching you about surface tension? You can actually look at the water and it actually goes above the rim of the glass and held there. That's them. They are filled to the brim. Like there's no room for anything else. They are not half-hearted. They are wholly in their sin. There's no room for anyone else. And what are they filled with? Well, let's make a list. It says first they're filled with wickedness, which is exactly the opposite of what we have to be filled with. Like the expectation, the command of God is that you are filled with righteousness. But instead of being filled with righteousness, they are filled with wickedness. All of us, as we go through Romans, you will see we have to be filled completely with righteousness. Completely. But these people don't have any because they are filled completely with wickedness. And I just need you to know that in and of yourself, you don't have enough righteousness. Like, we gotta be filled with it. 
And you may have some in your own mind. You don't have enough. Which again makes verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1 so amazing. For in the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith. That in the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It's on the back cover of your book. It's in the good news of Jesus. There is a righteousness that's been revealed that can fill you by faith. By faith. It is not of your works. It is of Christ's works. And it is good news. We're not doing good news today. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness and evil and greed and depravity. We'll get to the good news eventually. <laughs> filled with evil. Here's the thing. When you got wickedness on the inside, it shows up as evil on the outside. Like evil is the actions of a wicked heart. They're filled with greed. Greed is really, really hard to see in the mirror. Like none of us think we're greedy. Like I've never heard anybody ever once in my 25 years of ministry say, you know what my problem is? I'm really, I'm just a greedy person. Never, ever once has that ever been said to me. Never. Because it's really hard to see in the mirror. So what is greed? How do we know if we've got it? I love the way Andy Stanley, a pastor in uh, Atlanta, puts it. He says, greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. Greed is the assumption that everything that I get is for my consumption. Greed is the assumption that if it comes to me, then it must be for me. That's greed. That's greed. In other words, greed is this idea that, that if it comes my way, then it must be for my benefit. It's for me to use now by spending it or me to use later by saving it. But, if, but it's all for me. That's what greed is. It's, it's this insatiable desire for more. It's the part of us that every marketer taps into through every commercial that we see that says you, you aren't enough and you don't have enough and you would be enough if you just buy this thing. Paul says the greedy, they're filled with greed. Because greed is evidence of a depraved mind. He says they're also filled with depravity. And as we're going to learn later in Romans, depravity is the default position for every human being. Like we're all depraved. Every single one of us, thanks to our great, 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 great grandfather, Adam. Original sin is a real thing, and it has infected and affected every person on the planet. And unless and until we are changed by the gospel, then we aren't changed. We will stay in a depraved state outside of the gospel. He continues, they have become filled with every kind of envy, wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are full of envy. Again, this is a hard one to see. Um, we can see it in others quicker than we can see it in ourselves so let me give you a few prompts to maybe filter some of your own thoughts, attitudes, and actions through to see if this envy piece may apply to you. Do you ever find joy in somebody else's pain? Like there's a little thing in you that's just a little happy that they're suffering. Do you ever feel happy 
when something bad happens to somebody else. Like you went to school with somebody who was always skinnier than you show up at the reunion and they're a little plumpier than you are and you're like, oh, that's too bad. (laughs) That may be envy, that may be. There may be a little envy in there. Is there a tinge of satisfaction when the, the perfect, perfect married couple who are always ooshy-gooshy and you're like, oh, it's, they just rubbed me wrong. And then one day you hear, oh, they're struggling. Oh, they may get a divorce. Hmm, not so bad, am I, honey? Right? And then, so that, that may be envy. Do you ever gloat when you hear about somebody else's business who fails or a leader who falls or a boss who gets fired? Ever something in you that just like, hmm, could be a sign that you've got some envy in you. And then he says, and murder. Now, this is why I don't know how I did on those first five, but that, I'm good on this one, right? I am not a murderer. Wanted to kill people, but haven't done it yet. So good to go on that one there, Pastor. What else you got? Just tap the brakes here. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, we have to remember that Jesus said murder is not just about what you do with your hands, it's what's going on in your heart. Jesus says if you hate someone, then you have broken this command. It's about what's on the inside. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says if you hate your ex or your mother-in-law or your nosy neighbor or your stepson, Jesus says, yeah, then that counts. So as you're writing these down and putting some check marks on it, make sure you recognize what Jesus puts the check mark beside here. And he says strife. Strife. What is strife? Strife is friction. Strife is tension. It's conflict. Strife is what makes your Thanksgiving dinners taste funny. Like you're sitting there and it's just like the whole room is just filled with this tension and friction. It's why there's an empty seat at Thanksgiving because We don't invite that brother anymore because every time he shows up, the strife just comes even greater. So that's strife. It's it's what you feel with a coworker or the ex-business partner or your first husband. That tension that's in you, this friction that's unresolved. that's, That's part of the depraved mind. And then there's deceit. These people, they're full of deceit. They're just not honest. They're just not truthful. And, and sometimes, sometimes they tell, they, I'm sorry, sometimes they show they're dishonest by not saying the thing that is true, and sometimes they show that they're dishonest by saying something that is not true. So sometimes it's, I, I say deceitful things, and sometimes it's, I just leave out the truth. But in the end, it's both deceit. It's both helping somebody else to believe something that's not true. Then there's malice. Malice. Malice is about hurting people on purpose. Like here's the reality. I don't know if you're single. You may not know this yet. Uh, When you put two sinners in the same bed, they will hurt each other. Like, you put two sinners in the same house, they are going to sin against each other. Like, it's just going to happen. You're going to say things and do things that hurt the other person, and sometimes you don't even know it. Like, that's just being human. 
What malice is, though, is malice, malice is doing it intentionally. Malice is, I know that if I say this thing in this way, it's going to hurt him, and so I'm going to do it. Malice is, if I say this thing in front of her friends, it's going to hurt her, so I'm going to do it. Malice is, do, is intentionally hurting someone. It's acting with the intent of making somebody feel pain. That's malice. He continues, they are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. So let's add them to the list. They are gossips. Again, we just love gossip, don't we? Gossip's great. If you don't say yes, then you're lying because you love gossip. We love it. Proverbs says gossip is like a sweet morsel. This is going down. It's just like, mmm. We just love it. Gossip is amazing. Like, we have entire TV shows that are dedicated strictly to gossip. We've got whole magazines that are predicated all on gossip. Our social media feeds are filled with all sorts of gossip about stars and athletes and politicians, and we just eat it up. We just love it. We can't get enough of it. It is a multi-billion dollar industry. How do they get multi-billion dollars of money from gossiping? Because you click it and you like it. We want all the juicy details about the breakup and the arrest and the black sheep kid and the affair and the fight and the illness and the firing. Inquiring minds want to know. We love it. And maybe the only thing better than actually hearing gossip is being the one sharing the gossip. Like again, we love it. Like, we love it. We, it's, in, it's intoxicating being in a group of people knowing that you know something that nobody else knows. And you just drop little hints of this thing that you know that nobody else knows. You just drop it for two hours, and you just see the people salivating. <laughs> and then you tell them, and you feel invigorated. That's what gossip does. That's the way it is. We love it. And it is the result of a depraved mind. That's how we know we have a depraved mind because we love gossip. Like we love it. And there's some of you and you say, well, but it's not gossip if it's true. Yeah, it is. In fact, gossip is always true. If you're saying things that aren't true, you're not a gossip, you're a liar. That's a separate category of evil. We already covered that one. If you're saying things that aren't true, that's just you being a liar. Gossip is always true. But what gossip is, it's telling people things that are none of their business. That's what gossip is. Gossip is when you're saying something about someone in a way that you wouldn't say it if they were standing there. That's gossip. Gossip is telling something, some, telling someone something that makes someone else look bad in their eyes. So you know this couple over here, they're having some struggles in their marriage, and so you tell this friend, as a prayer request, you just need to pray for, because Bob's doing some bad stuff over here, so you just need to pray for Bob and their marriage. And next time this person sees Bob, Bob looks bad in their eyes, and Bob doesn't know why. And the reason why is because of you being a gossip, telling this person something that they didn't need to know. 
Gossip is sharing information that's not yours to share. And it's the fruit of a depraved mind. They are, and it also leads to the next one. They're slanderers. Slander is intentionally defaming someone else. That's what slander is. Slander is saying something about someone that makes that person look bad in someone else's eyes. That's what slander is. It is intentionally being disparaging and demeaning and insulting to someone else. That is the definition of slander. Which means I gotta just say this one out loud. I'm gonna offend somebody in the room today. If you have a Let's Go Brandon sticker on your truck or a flag in your yard, then this applies to you. It is you intentionally defaming someone. It is you intentionally insulting and disparaging someone. You are a slanderer. That is the definition of this word. And it is the result of a depraved mind. They are God-haters. They are God-haters. How many of you uh, remember what the greatest commandment is? Jesus was once asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, here's the greatest commandment. What? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It is the number one, the most important of all the commandments, is that you are to love the Lord your God. Not just believe in him, not just obey him, not just fear him. The command is you are to love him. You love him. Do you love him? Like love him. Like when you think about God, feelings of affection bubble up for you. You love him. These people, no, 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 they hate him. When they think of God, they're not filled with an affection for God. They're filled with an anger for God. They are insolent, they are arrogant, and they are boastful. All three of these go together. They all stem from the sin of pride. All of them. Insolent, arrogant, boastful. They are all from the root of pride. And it's this pride that makes a person rude and discourteous and conceited. That's, that's what happens. And you will see this on display for someone with a depraved heart. You will see these on display when they are inconvenienced in some way. Like they are inconvenienced. They are inconvenienced in some way, and they act as if they should never be inconvenienced. I don't deserve to be inconvenienced. And so I will be insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They are inconvenienced, and they act like they should never be inconvenienced. Their appointment gets delayed. Their a car cuts them off. Their food comes out too cold, too late. Somebody disagrees with them, and I get upset. I mean, they get upset. They act as if that should never happen to them because they are above being inconvenienced, like mere mortals. Paul adds, they invent ways of doing evil. They invent ways. Like, they will work on technological advances to make doing evil easier and more convenient. 
like having porn in your pocket or hookup apps on your phone. Like there are whole platforms now, whole platforms where you can slander people without ever having to put on pants. Like you don't ever have to leave your house. You just go on your phone and you can lie in your pajamas on your bed and you can slander people all over the world for everyone to see. There used to be a day that if you wanted to slander people, you had to go outside. And your slander was only going to reach as far as the people you could gather around the water cooler or your neighborhood or your knitting group or the locker room. That was as far as your slander could get. But now, we've invented ways of making sure that our slander can be put out to the entire world. We can share our slander with anyone and everyone. That second grade classmate that you had back in Minnesota now can participate in your slander on Facebook. Isn't that amazing? They invent ways of doing evil. There are whole industries built on making doing evil things easier. And then here's the gut punch. And they disobey their parents. And again, I know you're sitting here thinking, oh, I'm screenshot that one for my kid. (laughs) They doing this in children's ministry today? Because my kid right here, this is where... And again, it's so easy at this point to want to pull out the magnifying glass and see this in our kids, see this in our grandkids, see this in the next generation. That's right, they're awful. Back up just a second here. Turn that magnifying glass into a mirror and ask yourself, did this apply to me? Were you always the obedient one? Like you, every time you did everything exactly First time, every time, perfect submission, perfect attitude, never had to be asked twice or told to stop. Anybody want to say that you have passed this test today? Good, because we've already covered deceit. You don't need two. (laughs) So they're disobedient. They're disobedient. It hits all of us. There's nobody who's who's the exception to this one, and he isn't done yet. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. So first, no understanding. In other words, they're not as smart as they think they are. They're not as wise as they think they are. And again, it's easy for us to think right now about how wise we are, but we're all in a continual state of unwiseness. How do I know? Because you look at your life right now, and you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, and you look back in your 20s, and you think, I thought I knew a lot in my 20s, didn't know that much. Some of you in your 70s or 80s, you think, I thought I knew a lot when I was a mom in 41. Nah, I'm a grandma now, and I understand that I was pretty stupid. The further along you get, the more you realize you didn't know, which means that for all of us, we should assume that 10 years from now, we're going to look back at where we are now and say, yeah, I wasn't as smart as I thought I was because the reality is true. We have no understanding. And there's no fidelity. No fidelity. They don't keep the word. There's no fidelity. They say they will, but they don't. They make promises and then break them. They take vows 
and don't keep them. They say they're in, but then they cancel. Turns out they're only as loyal as it is convenient. There's no fidelity. They're as loyal as it is convenient. And there's no love. In fact, some of your Bibles actually say they are loveless. They're loveless. And the reason is because if you take out the greatest command to love the Lord your God with all your hearts, when you punt that one, you, you will necessarily punt the second greatest command. So Jesus said, hey, the greatest command is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you punt on this one, you will also point, punt on this one. You won't have love in you for other people. There's no love and there is no mercy. See, the thing about these people is they will judge themselves by their intentions and judge other people by their actions. I judge myself by my intentions. Well, I didn't mean it to come out that way. I didn't mean to say that thing. I didn't mean it. My intentions were good. I, I just forgot. I just forgot. This time, I forgot. My intentions were good. And we judge ourselves by our intentions and we judge others by their actions. And because they said the thing or didn't show up or did the thing that they shouldn't have done, we're going to judge their actions, not their motives, because we are people who have no mercy. So here's the question. Do you see yourself on this list? If you don't, either I'm terrible at my job or you're lying to yourself and you are covering your own eyes because you don't want to see the truth. And either one of those things could be true. But I, would, I want to make sure that we don't miss this today. It's been a few weeks, but do you remember, again, go back. How did this whole section start in verse 18? The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people. The wrath of God is being poured out on all of this stuff, not just on the homosexuals in Romans 1, not just on the sexual immoral of Romans 1, but it is being poured out because of the gossips and because of the infidelity and because of the slanderers and the deceitful and the strife and the envy and the arrogance and the boastful and the disobedient children and their disobedient father. The wrath of God is being poured out on all of them. And the worst part of it is we know better. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do the very things, but also approve of those who practice them. They know better. We know better. No one who's doing these things is going to stand before God with a straight face one day and say, I didn't know I shouldn't do that. Nobody's going to have that Trump card, you know better. We all know better. And the creator, God says, those who do such things deserve death. This is verse 32. It follows the list of all of this. Those who do such things as these deserve death. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that everybody who has been deceitful deserves death? Everybody who is greedy deserves death? 
Everybody who hates somebody deserves death. Everybody who is boastful and arrogant and disobeys their parents deserves death. Death, that's harsh. Do you believe that today? That's what it says. We love this verse when it applies to those sexual perverts in the verses prior, but it also applies to all of these. Why does it apply to all of these? Because we have a holy God who deserves all righteousness, and when we come before him without that righteousness, this is what we should get. We deserve death. Because our unrighteousness is destroying the glory of God that was placed on us. The wrath of God is being poured out because of these things. The people who do these things, they deserve death. But the good news is, Back to the very beginning of this whole conversation, verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed through Jesus, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the good news. We need a righteousness given to us, one that is by faith, because you can't work good enough to get it. Because you are on that other list with all of those other things, you can't do enough good to earn the righteousness of God. It must be given to you by faith. It is given to everyone who believes. But unless and until you realize how bad it is, you will never appreciate how great God's grace is. Let me pray. Father, we are filled with wickedness. Our depravity continues to show itself again and again and again. And I pray today that you would reveal it to us as a mirror reveals our face, that your word would show us where it is that we are continually in this tug of war with you where we have accepted that these things are okay, which reveals you've just let go of the rope for these areas in our life. So I pray today that you'd pick it back up and pull us back in your direction. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.